things here on Wednesday night. With that, would you join me and let's pray. Father, we again turn to you. Lord, we want to ask for these, these brave pastors that are refusing to turn over their sermon notes, their emails, their letters, even their notes from counseling sessions with people in their congregation are being subpoenaed right now by the government. Lord, this cannot be so. And we ask that you would tear down this lawsuit. Lord, I pray that you would defeat it before it ever makes it to a bench. Uh, Lord, pray that you would be the defense of these men. God, that I consider them my brothers. And we stand shoulder to shoulder and arm in arm, willing, if necessary, to be thrown to the lions. And and God, uh, we don't wish that. Uh, It's not our desire. But Lord, we cannot deny you. Lord, we must not deny you. And so, God, we ask that you'd strengthen them for the battle that lies ahead. We pray for the Alliance Defending Freedom, the Alliance Defense Fund, the American Center for Law and Justice, all of which will be involved in this court case. We pray that you would protect them. We pray that you'd watch over them, that you'd give those lawyers a tremendous mind, Lord, to research uh, this particular topic and, and to bring it to a a conclusion in the courtroom that the, those bringing the suit would stand in awe of your power. And so, God, we bless you uh, that we can bring these things to you. And, Lord, we pray that you would be their defense, their fortress and strong tower. And, Lord, as we open your word now, would you bring it to life for us, cause us to hear and know and understand, and then to obey. God, what is your perfect word? God, you wrote it, you authored it, and it's for us to simply hear it, and to do it. And so we ask you to give us power to do that by the Spirit. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, here we go. Whose land is it? Part four. And so we're looking tonight at Judah, Ephraim, and western Manasseh as we look at chapter 17. And so a few things that we can glean again from these passages, some very specific spiritual points that we can draw from it. And in verse 1 here in Joshua 17, it says, There also was a lot for the tribe of Manasseh, for he was the firstborn of Joseph, namely for Machir, the firstborn of Manasseh, the father of Gilead, because he was a man of war, and therefore he was given Gilead and Bashan. Now it's important that you understand where that is, uh, because these allotments, remember, they were kind of like God's way of, of intervening in the plans of man. And so as they cast these lots, here are these two areas that were given to the tribe of Manasseh. And we find out that the tribe of Manasseh was one of the warrior tribes. They were very fierce. And so this makes sense when you understand where they're going to be sent. Because where they're going to be sent was the land of the Amorites, And the Amorites were the fierce and sworn mortal enemies of the Jewish people. And they occupied the land that we would uh, say is now south of modern-day Israel, all the way up through the Jordan River Valley, clear into the Golan Heights. And so they would have taken up part uh, of Egypt, part, uh, almost all of Jordan, actually, and part of Syria, and part of Lebanon. This was a huge land allotment. And so God, in his divine plan, sends a warrior to be in the land of warriors. And the reason I bring this to your attention, where God guides, God provides. This is an old pastor Chuckism, and he does that in three different ways. 
He does that, of course, provisionally. If he wants you to do something, it's his idea, his, he has to provide for it. He does that through prayer. In other words, our prayer life should be guided that direction. If that's something that God wants me to do, he's going to confirm it in prayer. And then he does it in practical experience. And so God uses those gifts. When, when you come and you, you say, hey, I'd like to serve, one of the things I'll ask you, well, what's God put on your heart? What, what, is, what do you do? What, is it that, that, what gifts do you have? And very often they're quite translatable into ministry. And so maybe it's you have some technical skills. Maybe you have some musical giftings. Maybe you are great with children. So where God is moving us, he normally has already prepared us for that time in ministry. And he uses very often the things that he's done already in our lives. And in this case, because they're going to be with a bunch of warring peoples, he sends a warring leader. And so... The message here for us out of this is God knows exactly what he wants to do with your skill set. And don't be surprised if he calls you to use some of those things that you uh, have learned in your life experience. As most of you know, I'm I'm a contractor by trade. And so I I have a whole bunch of skill sets with regard to construction, all the way from you know, design and consultation and development and conditional use permits and all those kind of things. And, and you know, I kind of had this vision of ministry. Well, if God sends me into ministry, he's, you know, instantaneously just going to use me in teaching ministry or something like that, when, in fact, a, a very large percentage of my ministry has been ministering to things like buildings and building projects and pastors who haven't got a clue. Uh, they don't know the difference between a hammer and a nail, some of them. So, you know... It's it's good to be able to use the things that God has already done in our lives for his kingdom purposes. We need Christian doctors. We need Christian attorneys and Christian nurses and Christian teachers. I mean, think about it. Think of all the things that we can do in life that we would call our profession. Can you imagine if each one of us took the fullness of the gospel working in us by the power of the Spirit uh, to the workplace every day, how effective we'd be for the kingdom? And so this is one of those things. He sends a warrior to meet with warring people. And it says there in verse 2, And there was a lot for the rest of the children of Manasseh, according to their families, for the children of Abizer, and the children of Helek, and the children of Esrael, and the children of Shechem. And Shechem, remember, is that place that's modern-day Nablus. It's kind of between Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal. The children of Hefer, the children of Shemida. And these are the male children of Manasseh, the son of Joseph, according to their families. Now, it's interesting there because it ends right there in this particular section. And the reason it's interesting is because it's now going to go on and describe uh, a, a group of ladies. Now, if you know anything about Jewish culture and Jewish history, which you do, because if you've been coming to this church for a while, I've been teaching you those things. But if you know anything about Jewish culture and Jewish history, you'll know that women had no rights, period. They could not inherit land. That was that was basically did not happen. They, they were considered, in essence, underneath always the headship of their husband. So it was a rather male-dominated society. However, that was actually not God's plan. That was man's plan. And, and so the, the chauvinism that kind of carried over into even our modern world really wasn't God's plan, and we get it proved to us in the next set of verses. And, and I don't want this to be stretched out beyond its, its actual intent here in Scripture. But there are times when the situation dictates, and God understands this very fully and very completely, that 
there may not be even a husband in the home. And so I've actually had people come to me, well, I can't believe it, she's teaching the Bible to her daughters. You know, that's supposed to be the man's supposed to be the head. You know, I've had the, the solid, hardcore male chauvinists go, well, you know, I, you know, a man should not exercise, or a woman should not exercise authority over a man. I've heard that. Okay? That is not what your Bible teaches. It does not teach that type of domineering, oppressive, absolute rule under the thumb of the wife having no authority in the home, no capacity to do anything, and basically if the husband doesn't tell her to do it, she shouldn't do it. That is not taught in Scripture, period. What it teaches is a co-equal leadership where the husband has his roles and the wife has hers, and at the end of the day, the husband absolutely will answer to God for how his family goes. He's got the final say, if you will, because God's appointed him to that. But as far as all the other stuff, read Proverbs 31 and find out for yourself. There's a, there's a wife that goes into the city and buys and sells and makes garments and does all these things, and there is no man standing around telling her what to do. Okay, so I'm just laying it out there for you today. I'm kind of on a roll right now. So. We need to be really careful what we interject into Scripture because there are an awful lot of marriages that end up really messed up because this particular issue of headship is overemphasized. Christ is the head. The husband is supposed to answer to God. But the wife is in no way, shape, or form a lesser being, a lesser human. Has Her thoughts don't matter. Her skill sets don't matter. You know, she can't sign documents, all those types of things. I, I have heard these things. Please, in Jesus' name, put those things away because it's not taught in Scripture. goes on in verse 3. But Zelophehad, the son of Hefer, the son of Gilead, the son of Machir, the son of Manasseh, had no sons. So what happens? He just ceases to exist. He dies out. He goes off into the sunny horizon and croaks and everything he has. Just, you know, just give it to the neighbors. What happens? But only daughters. And these are the names of his daughters. Mala, no, I like that. It's like a guy's name for a woman. Hagla, I don't think I'd like that if I was a lady. Because you know how I'd get abbreviated. Hey, hog, come over here. Milka and Tizra, they weren't great at naming ladies back then. You know, I don't know. But they came near before Eleazar the priest, before Joshua the son of Nun, and before the ruler, saying... The Lord commanded Moses to give us an inheritance amongst our brothers. Really? I thought it was a male chauvinistic dominated society to where women had no rights. Whoops. You mean your Bible doesn't actually teach that? No, your Bible doesn't teach that. And In fact, Moses actually had foreseen this and had spoken to this already. The Lord commanded Moses to give us an inheritance amongst our brothers, and therefore, according to the commandment of the Lord, he gave them an inheritance among their father's brothers. Oops. 
it kind of kind of tosses down the Old Testament notion that ladies were second-class citizens, doesn't it? Ten shares fell to Manasseh besides the land of Gilead and Bashan, which were on the other side of the Jordan. Remember, half of them on one side, half of them on the other, because the daughters of Manasseh received an inheritance among his sons, and the rest of Manasseh's sons had the land of Gilead. And so here you actually have a perfect picture of what I just said to you. God recognizing that there are extenuating circumstances. Can I honestly tell you that if we took all the ladies out of the mission field, there'd hardly be anybody in the mission field? Whether you know it or not, about 73% of all missionaries around the world are women, and they are teaching men. They're sharing the gospel with guys, full-grown men and boys. Why? Sometimes it's because no men will go. Sometimes it's because men need to stay home and do what they should be doing. Sometimes it's simply because they're single, and that's what God's called them to do. We need to be careful how far we push these man-made rules that cannot be upheld by Scripture. Is there structure in the home? Yes, of course. Of course. And there has to be a final word. Frankly, that's, that's just a truism of life itself. Somebody has to have the final say-so. As far as a Christian marriage is concerned, that is supposed to be the husband. But it's not at the expense of the wife, and it's never at the lessening of the value of the wife. And so, as we see here, we have this very clear incidence of God not being capricious and God making exceptions for a very exceptional case. And he gives them the same portions that he gave them in. Now, that's going to make some guys kind of mess there. Like, really? Yeah, really. I want you to notice something else. These ladies knew the word. They knew exactly what God had said. They knew what Moses had preached. And because Zelophat had no sons but only daughters, God says, no reason to punish you. That passage, by the way, is Numbers chapter 27, the first 11 verses. And then the daughters of Zelophat, the son of Hepher, the son of Gilead, the son of Machar, the son of Manasseh, from the families of Manasseh, the son of Joseph. And these are the names of the daughters, and it's the same names, different book. And they stood before Moses, before Eleazar the priest, before the leaders of all the congregation, by the doorway of the tabernacle of meeting, saying, Our father died in the wilderness. But he is not in the company of those who gathered together against the Lord, with the company of Korah. But he died in his own sin and had no sons. Why should the name of our father be removed from amongst his family? Because he had no son. Give us a possession amongst our father's brothers. And so Moses brought the case before the Lord. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, The daughters of Zelophad speak what is right. Did you get that? The Lord spoke to Moses. The daughters of Zelophad speak what is right. You shall surely give them a possession in the inheritance among their father's brothers and cause of the inheritance of their father to pass to them. 
So all of this, well, here's the leaping right here. Don't have any sons? Tough turkey tetrazzini. It's not found in Scripture. The exact opposite is found in Scripture. In a major way, where Moses himself talks to God himself, and God himself says, they speak what is right, give them an inheritance. Why am I saying all this? Because I think in some ways, the church has been responsible for fostering a wrong view of submission. And it's a submission that's not pleasing to God because it diminishes the role of the woman in the home. It diminishes her capabilities and, frankly, her knowledge of the word at times and her ability to do things that sometimes men aren't very good at. And so we need to stick with what God says. And when there is a case like this, and let me give you a a very standard case here in our country, Maybe there's been a divorce. Maybe there's a death and there's been someone who's been widowed. Can you imagine? Can you imagine that God would say, well, you know, you're a woman. You you can't teach the word. You can't do this. You can't. God's not going to do that. God makes exceptions for exceptional circumstances. And he meets those exceptions with what is right before the Lord. And we need to do the same. And frankly, we need to be careful about the the, the punchiness of the legalism that we that we put out there that came probably from a group of guys somewhere that said, well, you know, this is what we, you know, we're just going to take this one verse and we're going to expound on it for a week and a half. Here is a literal case that's not mentioned once. It's mentioned twice. And it's used as an example of the Lord himself making an exception. Remember that. God didn't punish this family because there were no male children, and he didn't say you couldn't have an inheritance. Hallelujah. You mean my God is absolutely just and fair? Yes, my God is absolutely just and fair, and I love that. Like the daughter of Caleb, these women had faith, and they had courage, and they knew the word. Praise God for women who have faith and who have courage and knew the word. You know, you can sit there and go down the list. You think of the Corey Ten Booms of the world. You know, you just you, let's make sure that we keep that in view when we're talking about relationships and when we're talking about the roles of men and women. You know, sometimes there are just extenuating circumstances where I'm sure God is very pleased to say, "Look, no one else will carry this banner." Maybe it'd be better if there were, a, you know, there were a husband in view, but there isn't. And so let's make sure that we're treating with respect those those situations that are just different, because God did. I think we should. Not a capricious tyrant, and God loves ladies who love the word. So keep that in, you know. And and the picture here is God always rewards faithfulness, doesn't He? When you are faithful, uh, you're met with faithfulness. Sometimes God is faithful and has to be faithful because sometimes we're faithless, amen? But when he sees faithfulness, he always rewards faithfulness. The boundaries now of the western half of the tribe, so now on the other side of the Jordan River. And you're going to see a repeated failure. And this comes up, this is the third time this has come up. 
But, but I will tell you that, again, it gets back to remembering what God said and doing what God said. Let God be the one who determines what are the exceptions. Amen? You, you get the picture here? When God says, this is a legitimate exception, this is something that's okay with me, and then we carry it the other way and say, well, this must also be an exception, that's not necessarily true. God's supposed to be Lord. Amen? Master. He calls the shots. And so we let him make those decisions. We do not take our decisions and say, well, God, you have to do this because I say so. What we do, we do because God says so. Verse 7, And the territory of Manasseh was from Asher to Miklamath. It lies at the east of Shechem. So this is up in the region, about halfway between the Dead Sea and the Sea of Galilee. Uh, along the western border of the Jordan River. And the border went along to the south to the inhabitants of Intupa, which is also down in the, in the Jordan River Valley. Manasseh had the land of uh, Tapua, uh, but Tapua was on the border of Manasseh and belonged to the children of Ephraim. And so these are kind of describing, again, the border areas that where other tribes would uh, have access to the same body of water. Remember, that was important, especially during those times. And the border descended to the brook Cana. Uh, southward towards the brook, and then these cities of Ephraim were among the cities of Manasseh. So they're kind of intermingled. And remember, they're from the same guy. They're from Joseph. So they're actually both sons of Joseph. And so they, it was. It made sense that they were mingled. They were actually kind of, uh, if you will, uh, of the same tribe if you look to Joseph. But they were two separate tribes and they were two separate sons. And so the border of Manasseh on the, on the north side, southward, it was Ephraim's, and northward, it was Manasseh. So they basically kind of split, split along a creek there, or a river. And the sea was its border, so all the way over to the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, Manasseh's territory was adjoining Asher on the north, and Ishakar on the west, or excuse me, on the east, and Ishakar in Asher. And Manasseh had Beth Sheen and its towns, and Iblim and its towns, and the inhabitants of Dor, and the towns and the inhabitants of Endor, which, remember, the witch of Endor, uh, that's just along the edge of the Sea of Galilee, uh, about halfway down, not quite to modern-day Tiberias. Uh, so this is this is an area that is, comes from up in the region of Nazareth and Shechem and then moves on around to the Sea of Galilee in that area. And the inhabitants of Tanakh, which was actually uh, named after uh, the scriptures themselves and its towns, and the inhabitants of Megiddo, so this is down in the valley of Jezreel, uh, in its towns and three hilly regions. And so if you look in there, Mount Tabor, Mount Hazor, all these mountains that are rather pronounced because they come out of plains are all in this area. And it's describing those hilly regions. And then the hilly region that runs up the slope of Mount Carmel. And so you have what we call the Valley of Megiddo, uh, the Valley of Jezreel, the same valley, and its coastal range. And then these little mountain ranges that are kind of scattered throughout uh, the central valley. Uh, they're along the... Uh, Rift Valley that runs all the way down, as I said, to Africa. And so yet the children of Manasseh could not drive out the inhabitants of those cities, but the Canaanites were determined to dwell in the land. And so, again, you kind of see the same failure. And it happened that when the children of Israel grew strong, that they put the Canaanites into forced labor, but, notice again, did not utterly drive them out. 
Now, it appears that you have one situation at the beginning and another situation at the end, and in, in the process of those things transitioning, it looks like they could have driven them out at the end. But instead of doing what God said, they compromised. Always not a good thing to compromise the actual word of the Lord. Now, I was very careful in what I just said. I'm not talking about compromising someone's perhaps interpretation of what God said, the actual word of the Lord. What was the word of the Lord to them? Drive them out completely. They didn't do that. They said, well, you know, they're kind of strong. They make nice masons. They're good at building walls. The Canaanites were very good at building walled cities. Now, I don't know because Scripture doesn't say that that's what they were talking about, but apparently, again, the Canaanites had some skill sets that were beneficial, and so they compromised what God's Word actually said. Now, let me modernize that for you. When God says you shall not be a fornicator, that means that you don't have sexual relations with somebody that you're not married to. Amen? Well, we're almost married. We're nearly married. We like each other a whole lot. And besides that, uh, he had an apartment, and I didn't have an apartment, so I needed an apartment. He already had one, and so we move in together and we play house. That's compromising what God's Word clearly says. Do you understand what I'm saying? He says you can't do that. He hates immorality of all kinds. So, again, it's not to put a finger on anybody. It's to say, look, that's what compromise does. That compromise then leads to a lack of commitment in the relationship. Why? Because you already have all the benefits of marriage without the commitment. So why get committed? And then you wonder why the relationship doesn't last. Because you compromised what God's word actually said. It never works out well. We have to be careful that when God clearly speaks, we clearly listen, and then we clearly do. Amen? It did not work out well for them. They are fighting with the same group of people today, still. More than 3,000 years later, God means what he says, says what he means, We need to do it when we know exactly what he wants from us. It's always the best way. So their failure was the same as we saw back in chapter 16. Uh, And of course the Canaanites would be determined to dwell in the land. They dwelled in the land, right? Can I give you another little tidbit here? Sometimes God asks you to do the hard thing. God asks you to do the hard thing, do the hard thing. It's not easy to give up some things that we really like. We've invested our time in it. And again, I'm not being critical here, nor am I being too terribly pointed. I'm simply saying that when you you invest in something that's not of God, and whether that's some life habit, whether that's some sin behavior, whether that's a relationship or something that's outside of God's plans, when you invest in that, of course you want to stay in it. You've spent your time, your talent, and your treasure in that thing. And so it shouldn't, you know, make you cry. Well, you know, they wanted to stay in the land. What do you mean they wanted to stay? Of course they wanted to stay in the land. And so do we when we invest in the wrong things with our lives. And so we can't be too harsh on the Canaanites. They were doing what we would actually do if we didn't know the Lord. Amen? So when you look at this passage of Scripture, 
The account looks like a bunch of names in a few places that we don't really know too much about. But there's some spiritual truths in here that we need to glean. When God says something, do it. When he gives instruction, follow it. To the T as best as you possibly can. Am I preaching some kind of legalism here? No, not at all. I hate legalism. But I am saying with exactness that when you know what God has said, that's exactly what we're supposed to do. And there are an awful lot of things in your Bible that are very clear. That's kind of actually why a lot of people don't like pastors that actually teach the whole counsel of God's word, because then they're just ignorant, and you can wander around and go, well, I didn't really know that. And you, to some degree, actually have an excuse, and it falls on the pastor. But when you know what God has said, your best course of action is always to do it. Always to do it. What does God want from us? Remember what he said back in chapter 14? Caleb wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. Remember that. 14.14. That's what he wants from us. Joshua now answers the complaint of the sons of Joseph. And these passages are actually very instructive for us. Notice what it says. Verse 14. And then the children of Joseph spoke to Joshua, saying, Why have you given us only one lot and one share to inherit, since we are so unbelievably awesome? We are a great people. I mean, we are it. Inasmuch as the Lord has blessed us until now, you're taking away our blessing. We're special. The only thing special about us is Christ in us, our hope of glory. The rest of it, dirt. We don't deserve anything. It doesn't mean that God isn't good. It doesn't mean that he doesn't give us good things. He does. But to sit around and debate whether we are deserving of things greater than some other person uh, borders on insanity for the child of God. Because he's promised to bless you. The problem is, is he hasn't necessarily promised to bless you with the same car as everybody else, or the same house as everybody else, or the same amount of land, or the same amount of money, or the same husband, or the same wife, or any of those things. He's promised to bless you with all spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus. You see, we get that messed up sometimes. And what we do is we we think of God's blessings as Stuff. And if he gives us more stuff, and the bigger things are, and the more wonderful they are, that God must be blessing us. Can I tell you that's not necessarily true? I've met a lot of people with a lot of stuff, and I would almost go so far as to tell you they have been cursed of God. Not blessed of God. Because I've watched it steal their life, their children, their their families in general. I watched it destroy their minds, make them completely ineffective to anyone and everything. Sometimes material blessings aren't a blessing at all. If they're not given to you by God, you don't want them. And so God makes it pretty clear to us. And so Joshua answered and said, if you're a great people, I love this. This is the kind of counsel that sometimes us guys really need to have. Okay, if you're such hot stuff... If you are so unbelievably awesome, then go up into the forest country and clear a piece for yourself. 
They're in the land of the Perizzites and the giants, since the mountains of Ephraim are too confined for you. If you are so unbelievably awesome, then why don't you go get some for yourself, is what he's saying. So if you, if you don't like how God did this, because remember, they cast lots. This is the land. Here it is. These are the boundaries. So in essence, they didn't like what God gave them. Well, I don't like my place in life, God. I don't like this. Now, I'm not talking about us not liking hurtful things. Okay? Anybody that sits around, I'm just, I got cancer today. Hallelujah. Praise God. Lost a leg. Not talking about stupidity. We're we're talking about when God gives you a place in life and a position in life and power in life, we can't bemoan that. We have to work with God in changing that situation if that's what we believe God wants. And so that's exactly what they're told to do. Okay, if you think it's not right, if you think it's unfair, see that mountain right over there? He's talking about actually the slopes of Mount Carmel. Go right up there, there's forest, and there is, there's forest on Mount Carmel to this day. Go up there on Mount Carmel, drive out the giants that live up there. Take their land from them. If you think I've been unfair, if you think God hasn't dealt well with you. <clears throat> but the children of Joseph said, The mountain country is not enough for us, and all the Canaanites who dwell in the land of the valley have... Chariots of iron, both those who are in Beth Shean and its towns, those who are in the Valley of Jezreel. It's talking about the area of Megiddo. It's, one of the, it's right on the crossroads, in essence, of the trade route that went from Damascus down to Egypt. This is like right in the heart of the land. This is going to be too hard. I don't like that. I don't like hard. Hard. Can you hear the whining? They're whining. They're like, God, you gave us this, but we don't want this. We want something else. Cast a lot again. Now, you're going to notice something. They never cast a lot twice. Why? Because that would be denying that the Lord actually used it ever at all. Here they are. It's like, well, I don't like that answer. I'll do it again. And Joshua spoke to the house of Joseph to Ephraim. And to Manasseh saying, you are a great people and you have great power. And you shall not only have one lot, but the mountain country shall be yours. Although it's wooded, you shall cut it down and its farthest extent shall be yours. For you shall drive out the Canaanites, though they have iron chariots and are strong. Do you realize what he's saying to him? He's saying, look, God before you who can be against you. If God's in this process at all, and he's the one that determined which land you got, go take that land. You see, they didn't like it. And I want to give you a little spiritual lesson from this one. Never underestimate your own unworthiness of everything, number one. We're all unworthy. If you compare us to God, what do we actually deserve? Okay, let's be honest about it. I can tell you what I deserve, death and hell. That's what I actually deserve. If I woke up in the morning and God said, you know, I'm going to give you exactly what you deserve. I know what it would be. I know what it would be, death and hell. It's like, okay, 
That's what you want to do. But because he loves us, he gives us grace, his unmerited favor, and mercy. He doesn't give us what we deserve. And so in this case, God's given them grace and mercy. He said, look, I'm going to even give you a double portion. But the double portion, the second part of it's going to be tough. It's going to be hard. We don't like it. We like things being easy. And we live in the land of easy. I mean, to the point that we have commercials. Look, hit the easy button. Yeah? You know what I'm saying? It's like we pull into the we pull into the drive-thru and you're in there for 34 seconds. You're like, man, I bet this guy got his degree at Kmart. You know, you're just we do that. It's like you know, how could this guy even keep a job? You know, we want the easy land. Sometimes God's promises are hard things, and we need to be ready for that. We need to be ready for hard things. Because he hasn't promised us anything other than he would see us through to the end. He never promised to make everything easy. Nowhere in Scripture is that taught. And in fact, the exact opposite is taught. Jesus himself said, in this world, you will have tribulation. But know this, I've overcome the world. So at the end of the day, you're going to heaven. It'll all be cool. Right now, for Pastor Steve Mays, he and Chuck are with Jesus, they're three carpenters, they're building something. It's all good. But you know what? Having metal parts all throughout your body and dying from a surgery that was supposed to fix you is not exactly on any of our list of things to do today. Amen? It was a hard road. But the hard road leads to a righteous end. And I think we suffer sometimes in our world from a bad case of the gimmies. You know, just give me that, give me this, I deserve this, deserve that. That's why Jesus said in Luke 16, we just covered, he was faithful. In what is least is also faithful in much. And he is unjust in what is least is also unjust in much. God's not going to give you any more until you're faithful with what you have. These guys had not been faithful with anything yet. And so they're, well, we deserve more. No, you go be faithful with what you got, and then we'll talk. That's the way God works with us. If you're faithful with what you have, then he will entrust you more things. But if you're not faithful with what you have, you're probably going to stay on that cycle of being in that place to where, hmm, I wonder what God's doing here. You do reap what you sow, exactly as Galatians 6 says. You'll also notice here that God really does want to give us a, an inheritance. He, he delights to do that. Ephesians chapter 5, this incredible book about the riches that we have in Christ Jesus. Notice there in verse 18 of chapter 1, it says, The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. He wants you to know those things. But he wants you to be faithful with what you've already got. And so we need to work on that a little bit. I know I do. I sometimes whine. I do that. Not picking on anybody. I'm guilty of it myself at times. Like, Lord, can't you see this? Can't you see that? And so what I would ask you to do is why don't you ask God to give you what it is that he wants for you. And then accept it. Whatever that is. And don't bug him. Go be faithful with what he gives you. 
That doesn't mean that you don't pray. We're to pray without ceasing. Amen. But we also need to be complicit in the plan. In other words, we need to get behind what God's doing, not ask God to change the plan because we don't like it. You see, when we think about that, we're actually all joint ears with Christ. Amen? Do you think God's ever going to be miserable to his kids? No. But just like with my own sons, I've given them hard things to do. They have earned everything that they have. They've purchased their own cars, buying their own house. Those musical instruments, Brandon bought that drum set. And working since they were 13 years old. Why am I telling you that? Because by way of example, sometimes the best lesson you can learn is I need to go work. I need to go get busy. I need to go do what God has given me the ability to do. And not complain about what I don't have. You see, we need to ask what God wants for us. If he wants to give us more things, he gives us more things. If he doesn't, he doesn't. Don't be caught up in the prideful attitude that we can very clearly see here. And again, it doesn't mean that we don't go through difficult times. I don't want to put anybody on blast here. I'm not trying to get you bummed out. But the bottom line is, for all of us, when we look at our lives, there's always things we would change. Amen? If anybody in here is living a perfect life, I don't want to know about it. We all got stuff. We got issues. I got issues. But what I found in my life is is I asked God, God, you give me what I'm supposed to have. And then I'm satisfied with it. I'm good. But if I ask God to give me what I'm supposed to have, and then he gives it to me and I'm not satisfied with it, it's not good. Because then I start whining to God. Why? We can't let pride ruin the humble heart that we should have in Jesus. We simply need to be great, not tell tell others that we're great. You know, you met those people. Caleb was an example of this worked out, wasn't he? What did Caleb say? He's 85 years old. Give me another mountain and some more giants. Amen? That's what he said. And these guys are saying, give me some flat lands and some already planted fields. And and could you make it? Well, we don't want to actually work. We don't really like doing that. Who does? I mean, I'd like to be able to do the things that I'd like to be able to do, and sometimes that's work. But we're talking about, you know, the, the grinding the clock thing, the going out and hoeing a straight row. That's not a whole lot of fun. Most people are a little bit adverse to that type of thing. But he's saying, look, if it's for the Lord, I want to go do it with everything that I have. They seem to be given to criticizing the plans that God had for them. And then as we close... As they created problems for Joshua, they also created problems later for Gideon, for Jephthah, for David. You get, you get what happens here? You see, as they wouldn't be obedient, 
generation after generation after generation. You ever looked at families and you just see this long string of brokenness? Because it started back here with some sin behavior that got ingrained in that first family, got passed on to the second family, and on to the third family, and the fourth family. We have a tendency to call those things addictions in this world, but quite frankly, they're very often the circumstances that we allow into our lives that nobody stops long enough to say, hey, this is not working, perhaps we should change. Maybe we should be the ones to stop that behavior and actually do what God says. Now, again, this is from a biblical and a Christian perspective, and so it's hard for people in the world without the Lord to conceive of that, but it really is the answer. And so we see in the tribe uh, of, of Manasseh and Ephraim this long-playing thing that ends up being a thorn in the side of David the king, all because they wouldn't do what God said. James chapter 3 says to us in verse 16, where there's envy and the self-seeking that exists, confusion and every evil thing are there. When you're not satisfied with what God's done in your life and you blame God for it, you're going you're to go seeking after things that God doesn't want for you. You'll have envy. You'll have self-seeking. You'll have confusion. And ultimately, you'll run upon evil. That's how people that once walked with the Lord end up in really bad places. So in that spiritual truth, it's not about us boasting about who we are, but it's about believing in Him, trusting Him, and then doing what He says. Sometimes those who talk the most accomplish the least, amen? I'm sure you've all met those kind of people. It's just like they got they got an answer for everything, and it isn't from God. Like my friend Jeff Dorman wisely said, when it's all said and done, more is said than done. That's uh, so true. you got a lot of people that wander around. Yeah, why? If you want more blessing, be faithful with what you have. If you're not sure, ask God, because he gives to those who ask liberally. Just for the asking, by the way. And you shouldn't want anything for you that God doesn't want for you. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thanks for this time tonight. Just so grateful, Lord, for your word, for its instruction. And God, help us, Lord, to be patient, to wait on you, to take up the challenge to go conquer a new mountain or slay a new group of giants, God, in our lives. Help us to not look for the easy road but to get busy about our Father's business in these last days. Pray that you'd work in us to accomplish and to will and to do your good pleasure. So grateful that you speak to us, God, through your word. Thank you for this passage tonight. Pray that you'd impart it to us as truth, Lord. It's from you. And so, God, we just bless you. We thank you. We praise you. We ask that you'd bring us together again. Lord, should you tarry another few days, would you bring us together Uh, on Sunday again to just worship you and praise you and study your word. We love you. Thanks for this time tonight. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.